This morning's gospel continues on the same day after the women found the tomb empty. This is from Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now on the same day, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. One of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priest and the leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women in our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they could not find his body... And they came back and told us that he indeed had a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But they said they did not, they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe that the prophets have declared was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter, to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village where they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because the evening is the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was walking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
I love this church. Thank you for, thank you for being the kind of congregation that means it when, when you say children are meant to be heard. Um, there's, there's no more joyful noise in, in worship than the noise of children being children. Uh, thank you for being the kind of people who can make room for both the gospel proclamation and the sound of children in this space. We are, we are so glad that we can have both of those things together. So we've been remodeling the kitchen at the Parsonage. We, uh, we started on this project early of last year. Back in January of 2022, we met, and we, we met with a kitchen designer, and we said, can we bring this kitchen forward a few decades? Uh, and we came, up, we came up with a design that we really loved, and, and then the designer told us, she said, now you need to understand, before you embark upon this journey, you need to understand that nothing happens quickly in the post-COVID world. She said, all of our manufacturers are backed up. All of our supply chains are tangled. All of our contractors are overbooked. Um, and so we, we won't even be able to begin installation until sometime this summer. And when we do start on installation, she said, you need to be prepared for it to take a while. You need to be ready to be without a kitchen for a while. Uh, and I said, how, how long is a while? And she said, you need to be ready to be without a kitchen for as long as six weeks. Now, that, that sounded like a long time. Looking back on that time in my life, I realized that I was very young and naive uh, at that point in my life. I'm older and I'm wiser. I've seen some things since then. I said, okay, I think we can make that work. We'll, we'll find a way to power through and be without a kitchen for, for six weeks. So we started tearing out the kitchen in May of last year. We tore out everything except for the refrigerator and the stove. Uh, our kitchen at that point was just two major appliances sitting on a, a bare floor. Everything else came out. And they started on the installation in June, and that was also when the delays and the backups began. They, uh, they delivered uh, the counters, but they couldn't install the counters until they checked all the electricity. And so the electrician came in and he said, you got all kinds of weird things going on here. We can't put anything in until we fix all of this. And so that set us back a few weeks. And then when they finally got around to putting in the cabinets, they discovered that one of them had been damaged in shipping and needed to be reordered. And so that put us back a few weeks. When they were putting in the backsplash, it cracked in half. And so we needed to have that remade. And that put us back a few weeks. And it was like this every step of the journey. It felt like in this kitchen, everything they tried to do needed to be done at least two times with a period of several weeks of waiting in between. And so that six weeks without a kitchen turned into more than six months of the year where we had a, a hole where our, our kitchen used to be. And, and now, listen, here's, here's the thing. I understand that my suffering uh, was nothing compared to the suffering of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday. Right? I understand that my, my suffering and pain was, was trivial in comparison. All the same, it was a pain in the rear. And, and if you had asked me at any point during this process, at any point during the last year, what's the worst part of living without a kitchen? What's the worst part of this process? I might have said, you know, the worst part is not being able to wash dishes in our kitchen sink because we don't have a kitchen sink. Or I might have said the worst part is having to walk to the other end of the house to heat up food because that's where the microwave lives now. I might have named any number of relatively minor inconveniences and said that is the worst part of this whole process. And if I had, I would have been wrong because it turns out we didn't know the true cost of this project. We didn't know what this process was actually doing to us until the project was nearly finished. 
What was really happening to our family was happening really very slowly and at a level that the eye could not see. Now, here's the thing. Our, our kitchen is also our family dining room. And so when we tore out all of the kitchen and, and all the cabinets and all the countertops and the sink and all of that stuff, we also took our, our dining room table and carried it out to the garage. And that's where it lived for more than six months. We carried out our dining room table, and at first we said, this, this won't be too bad. We'll just eat off TV trays for a while. And, and that seemed like fun at the outset. We, we had a good time watching lots of TV together and, and discovering new shows together, and it felt like we were spending a lot of good family time together. It wasn't, it wasn't until Christmas Eve day of last year that we were finally able to bring that table back out from the garage and put it in the kitchen. And so that's what we did. We brought the kitchen table back in out of the cold. And then that night, for the first time in more than six months, we sat around that table together as a family and we shared a meal together. And it was a little awkward at first. It turns out we had forgotten a lot about table manners and how to occupy a space together without a television being turned on. And so, and so we stumbled a little bit at first, but eventually we got the hang of it. Remember, we remembered how to pass the potatoes and, and we remembered what to do with our elbows. And, and eventually we got into the swing of things. And then there was this moment as we were eating together when somebody said something. I don't remember who I don't remember what. It was, it was probably my son, and it was probably something that's not fit to repeat on Sunday morning anyhow. But somebody said something, and we all started laughing together. And, and we started laughing together in a way that we had not laughed together in more than six months. And as we were there at the table facing each other, laughing together, I suddenly had this thought. I suddenly thought to myself, oh, this is it. This is what we've been missing for all of these months. For six months now, we have been drifting apart from one another without even realizing it. For six months now, we've been together, but we haven't been together together. We have been side by side, but we've all been facing in the same direction. And it has been six months since we turned towards each other in this way. It has been six months since we gathered at the table in this way. I suddenly realized in that moment just how hungry I had been without knowing knowing it, for this connection with my family again. And I'm sure that I wasn't the only one who was feeling it because that night nobody wanted to leave the table. And we stayed at the table laughing and talking long after we finished eating. And then we cleared the dishes and got out a deck of cards and played euchre until late into the night. Nobody wanted to leave the table that night. We all learned that night. We all remembered that that table is, is part of the glue that holds us together. Of course, I shouldn't have needed reminding about how important a table can be. At the heart of our worship space, there's a table. At the heart of the Christian faith, there is a table. And here in the Easter story, we find not one but two tables that are important and part of the work of Jesus in healing and saving this world. On Thursday evening, many of us went over to the Calvary United Methodist Church and we gathered with other United Methodists from all around the city of Flint and we heard the story of a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. We heard the story of a moment when Jesus gathered his disciples around a table and then he taught them a new way of loving and serving one another. And he offered them the bread of new life and the cup of forgiveness and there at the table, Jesus wove them together into a new sort of a family. And now here we are on the other side of the arrest in the garden, 
on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the empty tomb. Here we are on Easter Sunday morning, and here we have another table in the story. Easter Sunday was a a day of wonder and confusion and fear. Early in the morning, the women and then all of the other disciples went to the garden and they saw the empty tomb. And they did not know what was happening. And in that moment of wonder and confusion and fear, some of the disciples decided it was a good time to get out of the city. Jerusalem didn't feel like a safe place anymore. Their teacher, their leader, their Messiah had just been executed. And now his body was missing and nobody knew where it had gone. And so some of the disciples decided now is a good time to leave town. And so that's what they did. They started walking out of Jerusalem, walking toward a place called Emmaus. And as they were walking along the road, a stranger joined them and started walking alongside them. And as they were talking about all of the strange and frightening experiences of the last several days, this stranger listened in. He eavesdropped on their conversation and finally the stranger interrupted and he asked them what they were talking about. And they said, aren't you coming from Jerusalem? Have you been living in a cave? Are you the only person who doesn't know what's been happening in the city these last few days? And then they told him the story. They told him about Jesus. They told him about the hope that they had had for the ministry of Jesus. They told him how they had left everything behind in order to follow Jesus. They told him about how powerful enemies had moved against Jesus. They told him about the death of Jesus on the cross. They told him about the empty tomb and the stranger listened until they were finished. And when they were finished, the stranger began to speak. And he said to them, but isn't that the way it had to be? Isn't that the way it always is? And then he started telling them the story of God's people from Moses right on down. He reminded them about all of the messengers of God and how they had been rejected. He reminded them of all the servants of God who had been made to suffer. He reminded them about all of the prophets who had been killed by powerful enemies. Why should it be any different now, he said. Why should it be any different for the Messiah? And as he was talking, they could feel their hearts burning within them. And when they reached their destination, they didn't want to stop the conversation. And so they said to the stranger, please come inside, share some time at our table, spend the night as our guest. And the stranger accepted the invitation. So they all went into the house together. And then they all sat at the table together. And they started breaking bread together. And it was in that moment as they were at the table breaking bread together that suddenly they recognized this stranger. Suddenly they saw him. Suddenly they realized that it had been Jesus who was walking beside them all along. Now this story gives us one of the greatest mysteries of the whole Bible. How is it possible that these followers of Jesus were able to walk beside him hour after hour all day long and not know who he was. How was it possible for them to spend the entire day with Jesus and not recognize him? Now, people have lots of theories about what was happening in this story. It may be that Jesus was transformed in some way in the moment of resurrection in a way that kept them from recognizing him. 
It may be that they couldn't see Jesus just because their hearts and their minds weren't ready to recognize Jesus because in their hearts and their minds, Jesus was still in the grave. It may be that Jesus himself disguised himself from them, chose to hide himself from them for some reason of his own. There are lots of theories and possible explanations for what's happening in this story. But of course, there's another possibility. There's a possibility that this is not actually a mystery at all. It's possible that there's a very simple explanation for what is happening in this story. It is possible that this moment, when they sit down at the table together, is very simply the first moment all day long when they bothered to take a good look at Jesus. All day long, as they've been walking along the road, they've been together, but they weren't together together. They were side by side, but they were facing in the same direction. And it may be that all day long they had only been looking at Jesus at the side of his face out of the corner of their eyes. And this was the first time all day when they turned towards each other and looked each other full in the face. And this is why they finally recognized Jesus. And if that's the case, if that's what's happening in this story, then it may be that there is a powerful and disturbing question in this story for you and for me. The question that this story is asking for those of us who live in this hyper-connected and super-disconnected world, the question that this story is asking for those of us who spend so much time eating from TV trays and staring at phone screens and half seeing each other through the windshields of our cars, the question that the story is raising today is this. Could it be that the resurrection has been happening all around us? Could it be that the resurrection has been happening right next to us and we haven't noticed it because we haven't bothered to look, because we haven't bothered to lift our eyes, because we haven't bothered to turn our heads, because we haven't bothered to turn towards each other? Maybe this was what Jesus was trying to accomplish all along. Maybe the work of Jesus wasn't finished when he died on the cross. Maybe the work of Jesus wasn't finished when he rose from the grave. Maybe the work of Easter is still happening and it won't be finished. It won't be complete until we turn towards each other. The work of Easter won't be complete until we learn a new way of loving and serving one another. The work of Easter won't be complete until we offer one another the bread of life and the cup of forgiveness. The work of Easter won't be complete until God at the table weaves us together into a new kind of family that this world so desperately needs. The work of Easter won't be complete until we are not just together, but together together. Let's pray. God, we pray. We pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would fill us. We pray that you would weave us. That we might become a light for the nations. God, let there be a kind of love in this place that lifts our community and heals creation. God, let there be new life and hope in this place as we sing the songs, as we tell the story, as we break the bread. We ask that you would turn us towards each other. In Jesus we pray. Amen.